Hi, my name is Tony DeBono, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dumbledore. Wait, what's that? The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. This 241st episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. Well, that was short. <laughs> Usually, it is much longer. I, I'm just running out of stuff to say. A lot more praise. Well, you know. <laughs> Less oh, worthy oh, of praise these days. Only it seems. when you deserve it. Yes. Brittany. Well, that's not true, but but okay. <laughs> well, maybe I just need a refresher, and that's what this uh, this coming weekend will be. Mm. We have friends, uh, our family, pretty much coming into town. Yes. To stay Thursday through the weekend. Mm-hmm. One of the nights we're going to have a, another friend come in and have dinner and talk about. <laughs> Supposed intellectual matters, uh, philosophy and religion. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. It might just be a whiskey-fueled shit show, though. You never know. That's very likely. <laughs> That's very possible. It is always a little stressful, though, when you have people coming in because not so much with these folks because it, they are family. Right. But people, when you start talking about how you have people coming in to visit they always say oh what are you doing yeah yeah what are the big plans like like i'm the entertainer in chief now i'm i have to do a little dance and entertain everybody yes uh, that's not a role i'm comfortable in well i it always devolves to we'll find some good places to eat <laughs> and drink that are within reason like to, we can take a lift or an uber to <laughs> We're not going to L.A. and well, getting, you know, good drinks and food. Well, we might be. you got to drive back. We might be going to L.A. That's to not going to. Oh, you want to go to Shake Shack really bad. I want to go to many different places <laughs> in L.A. But that that is something that ends up happening when we have guests. It is. These are all the delicious food places we want to take you. And it's not necessarily anybody ever there. It's not their their interest. Right. <laughs> Well, that happened to me recently when I had a friend go to Austin, Texas, and I said, okay, here is... Here's your opportunity. Yes. Franklin Barbecue. Exactly. Gave him the rundown, got to get in line at 8 a.m. to eat at 11 a.m. Go over to the CVS, buy some beers, put it in a cooler. The chair guy will let you rent a chair from him in the parking lot for $5. (laughs) The, The whole thing. And... They he went to a hot dog place. They didn't go to Franklin Barbecue. <laughs> and I kept giving him shit about this because it was really important to me that he ate Franklin Barbecue for some reason. And he actually ended up going to the same restaurant twice. Uh, and I said, why are you going to the same restaurant twice and not going to Franklin Barbecue? And he responded and just said, because I'm not you. <laughs> 
Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> so people don't. That is a fair point. People don't vacation the way that I do. Right. Just and that is okay. Just because it's not your way. Right. Doesn't mean it's not a good way. Exactly. <laughs> Something I need to learn. Keep that in mind at all times, Brittany Page. I'm just trying to increase everyone else's happiness level with the foods. Right. So never fear, though. We're not going to skip a show. We will, of course, do one Wednesday prior to their arrival. And then Sunday, I will slog ahead. No matter how under the weather, no matter how hungover and in a food coma from the previous several days, we'll do a Sunday show. All right. Well, let's move on. I think we have some listener communication from both email and the Facebook page. Let's start with the Facebook page. So Ryan posted on the Facebook page and said, I was kind of wondering what your opinion on the whole Colin Kaepernick not standing for the national anthem is. Well, I'm assuming he means me because I don't think you even know who Colin Kaepernick is. Although I I will say this, I am shocked and very proud that you are able to pronounce the name Kaepernick. So what happened is... I can't look at it because if I look at it, then I won't be able to pronounce then you're it. You're like Kaepernick. Yeah, because that's how I read. Okay. <laughs> Still hooked on phonics. Yes. <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, those of you who may be out of the country and don't follow U.S. NFL, or I guess that is the only NFL is U.S. There is a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers named Colin Kaepernick. He went to college at the University of Nevada. Is he one of the most popular? Is he one of the best? What's his status uh, in the league? He's kind of a phenomenon because he, he he's a, a mobile quarterback. He runs uh, like he. I don't know. Isn't that I'm what they do? <laughs> I'm not. No, no, no. And quarterbacks are. You've got pocket passers like uh, Peyton Manning, who's not a mobile guy. He can run, but he's he. <laughs> He wants to stay behind his offensive line. I got it. So I got it. Well, you asked. Well, I was forgetting what they do because I don't care about sports and I never know <laughs> what's going on. But now I remember that the quarterback is the one who is pretty stationary. So he runs around, which yeah, is yeah, unusual. Yeah. yeah but it's kind of a new breed of quarterback that the, the NFL is kind of experimenting with, it, we'll say. Is that negative? Like he's trying to do all the work no, and not no, being no, no, a no. team player? No, I just don't like him. Okay. I just think he's kind of a douche. Before this incident happened. Well, yeah, and it it stems from, you know, I went to Boise State, and I am a Boise State football fan, and he went to the University of Nevada, and we were always in the Western Athletic Conference and then the, the Mountain West. We're in the same conference, so we always played, and, you know, we, we struggled against that guy because he's, and he's just a douche. He's a douche. So it's a lot of... The crazy tattoos and the the, the hundreds of pairs of tennis shoes that take up like a a whole room in his giant house. Well, that's excessive. He's he's just a... I don't know. I don't like him. I'm just not a fan of Colin Kaepernick. You know, by the tone in your voice, I think you really like him a lot. Yeah, right, right. So so we're we're getting all over the board here. Um, So Colin Kaepernick didn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance at one of these preseason games that's happening right now. And it's become this entire controversy. And Colin Kaepernick says that it's because of the the U.S. policy and the the racism and, and systemic brutality against blacks from the police, and he's not going to stand until something gets done. Here is a brief snippet from an interview where he explains his thoughts. 
accomplish? What, what would you like this, you know, to be the end game for you? That's basically. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's to bring awareness and make people, you know, realize what's really going on in this country. There are a lot of things that are going on that are unjust. People aren't being held accountable for, and that's something that needs to change. That's something that. You know, this country stands for freedom, liberty, justice for all. And it's not happening for all right now. Is this something that's evolved as a philosophy in your mind? And how has this kind of progressed that you make a stand like this? It's something that I've seen, I've felt, um, wasn't quite sure how to deal with uh, originally. And it is something that's evolved. It's something as I've gained more knowledge about you know what's going on in this country in the past what's going on currently uh, these aren't new situations this isn't new ground it's things that have gone on in this country for years and years and have never been addressed and they need to be yes I'll continue to sit I'm gonna continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed uh, to me, this is something that has to change, and when there's significant change, and I feel like that flag represents what it's supposed to represent, and this country is representing people the way that it's supposed to, I'll stand. And clearly, Brittany Page, the best way to affect change in this nation relative to the racial divide, or at least the divide between um, the power structure of the police presence in the United States and young black men and women the best way to affect change is clearly to not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. That's going to get all kinds of stuff accomplished. So is this a little douchey? Eh, yeah, I think it's a little douchey because it's not really doing anything. It's it's a lot of a bluster and no substance whatsoever. However, I don't. I see a lot of people on Facebook acting all crazy. Uh, calling for him to be fired and he's a traitor and well, come people, on people are burning his jerseys yeah well it's he's definitely treading on thin ice relative to the fan base but who cares he's not hurting anybody who was who, gonna hurt the feelings of of the men and women who've served this country in the military who cares if he hurts somebody's feelings there's no law against hurting someone's feelings so you disagree with him. That's the beauty of this grand experiment of America. It is strong enough to withhold one douchebag from not respecting her, the country. I mean, really. It, this is, it's blowing it way out of proportion and giving way too much publicity that he really doesn't need. No one seems to be focusing on, oh, he's taking a stand, making a point about the injustice in certain communities and police brutality, right? These things. They're focusing on, yeah, he didn't stand for the national anthem. We're going to light his jerseys on fire. We are enraged. Right, right. We are not happy. We don't care about the reason that he did it. This is offensive and we're offended. Well, I see, a, listen, I see a lot of people personally on my Facebook page people with whom I went to high school, people I've known for years, and they, oh my God, you would think they've spent their life in service to this great nation because they're so outraged by this. And I don't do it because there would be no point in it. But I want, in my heart, I want to say, what have you done for this country in service to this nation? What have you done? 
You're so up in arms about this fucking football player who didn't stand. But what have you done specifically? Have you joined the military? Have you, What have you done? Yeah. So shut up. This false outrage. Let the let the liberals do the false outrage, <laughs> and you know. How dare you? Be be the the super patriotic American you claim to be. Right. Well, the super inarticulate thing I was just saying previously was meant to <laughs> support your your point of maybe this wasn't the best method to use yeah. to bring attention to a very important issue because it, no one is focusing on that important issue. Instead, right. it's just creating havoc and everyone's running to their corners and defending their positions and not caring about anything else. Look, I'm not going to judge him either way. I mean, I am. I, I just don't like him, so I'll judge him for that. But so I, I, I'm not going to say, well, why aren't you out there volunteering and being a spokesman for the for the movement, and why are you not on the on TV talking about it and turning your your social your whole entire presence, which is a a self promotion machine, into uh, promulgating um, the furtherance of that message. But you know, who am I to say that if this is the way he wants to do it, eh, whatever. And ultimately, Ryan, look, America is strong enough to to withstand a couple of people not liking her. <laughs> it is funny, though, because what you said about let the liberals be outraged. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, <laughs> these people who are saying that they're offended by this, and that's what this is. This is moral outrage. Oh, I'm yeah. offended. And they are doing what they criticize about liberals, right? Yeah. And I'm saying they as in conservatives because right. that's who's angry about this. Oh, yeah. Disrespect of the flag is a conservative thing. It's a symbol. It's a cloth with some stripes and some stars. It symbolizes his very right to do what he's doing. Goddamn. All right. Well, we have some more. <laughs> we, we have, Off to a good start. <laughs> we have some more feedback. Let's get to that before we move on with the rest of the program. Jesse and Brittany, in your last podcast, that's not true. We're reading this message late. <laughs> Someone asked if you, Jesse, would consider voting for Gary Johnson over Hillary Clinton. And you, understandably, had some reservations regarding the idea of not voting for Hillary unless you could be absolutely sure that Donald does not have a chance of winning. I have a couple issues with that. First, due to dare you, sir, (laughs) due to the Electoral College, you only need to worry about Donald winning the state of California. If you can be sure that Hillary will win California, then it really doesn't matter if you vote for her. Right. I think and correct me if I'm wrong, that our vote in the presidential election is essentially meaningless unless we live in a swing state. In states that always vote red or blue, there isn't much we can do. California will almost certainly vote blue, as it has in every election since 1998. Secondly, I wish that this spoiler effect wasn't even a concern. Unfortunately, our voting system makes a two-party system inevitable and makes it virtually impossible for a third party to ever have a realistic chance of winning. But what if our voting system changed? What if we could use the alternative vote, which allows us to rank the presidential candidates in the order that we prefer them? That would allow you to rank Gary Johnson as your number one choice without fear of throwing your vote away, because if he doesn't win, then your vote would go to your number two choice, Hillary Clinton. What are your thoughts on the alternative vote? I never hear anyone talk about it, but I think we should. I actually 
Love the show. Jesse's the best part. <laughs> Tim. Uh, thank you, Tim. Uh, I am. I'm actually. I'm interested in those different kind of uh, avant-garde kind of new methods of voting. I don't know of any any municipalities or nations that actually employ the alternative vote method. I know that there are leaders who talk about it, like 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 Howard Dean. Um. But I've never really seen it in 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 play. I, I wouldn't mind that. I think that it's innovative, and you know, just because we've done it, th- quote unquote, this way for so long, doesn't mean it has to be that way forever. Um, but, but to the other points, the only I agree with everything you said. The only thing I would take issue with is the fact that when, when you when you talk about states that always vote blue or always vote red. That, especially in this election, is a little different. And maybe not with California. You're right there. And um, I was just speaking generally, I think, instructively, maybe, to to, to, to the audience. Um, but, well, first we'll get that out of the way. So, listen, if, it, if it's looking still, you know, two weeks before the, the, the election and Trump hasn't made any, any in, inroads into California, it's unlikely I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. I will likely vote for Gary Johnson. But there are states out there that are typically, typically, not always, but typically red states. South Carolina, uh, Georgia, and right now those are in play for Hillary Clinton. She's only a few, uh, just a handful of points behind in South Carolina and Georgia. That is is the South. Then there are other states like, like Virginia, New Mexico, Colorado that are kind of swing states that that it looks like Virginia probably being the most important of these, that it looks like Hillary Clinton's going to win. So yeah, that all lends more credibility to the fact that it frees up my ability to go out and vote third party. But uh, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's definitely interesting times when I have to think so strategically about my goddamn vote. (laughs) Thank you both. For writing in, we appreciate it very much. If you too would like to sound off to the show, communicate with us, ask us a question, or just generally spout off, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right, let's get into a little follow-up here. This is tangentially related to Donald Trump because this guy has been a very vocal Donald Trump supporter But it more points to another case of someone who rails against the homosexual community and is a pastor who has been caught and arrested for child molestation. Because right now a controversial local pastor is in jail facing two counts of child molestation. Ken Atkins turned himself into the Glynn County Jail just a few hours ago. We have team coverage for you now this noon. Action News Jack's Caitlin Channa is on the way to Glynn County. She joins us on the phone with the latest. We are on our way to Glynn County to learn more about these child molestation charges against the prominent Georgia pastor. Kenneth Atkins is a well-known for being very outspoken. He's also known to many as a political activist. Today, Atkins was arrested on one count of aggravated child molestation and one count of child molestation. At 9 this morning, Atkins turned himself into the Glen County Jail. He's being held without bond. More than a week ago, Brunswick Judicial 
Circuit District Attorney Jackie Johnson requested Georgia Bureau of Investigation to assist the police department in learning if these accusations had any truth. In the next hour, I will be speaking with Atkins' wife, Stormy Atkins, about his arrest and the investigation. At 5 on Action News Jax, I'll bring you what Atkins' wife has to say about her husband being arrested on two counts of child molestation. Reporting, I'm Caitlin Channa, CBS 47, Action News Jax. Masker Atkins has been fixture here in local politics for years, often marking polarizing, making polarizing statements about race, sexual identity, and more. Action News Jack's Paige Kelton is live here in the newsroom now. And Paige, we have been here in the city for a long time at this point. Atkins is no stranger to controversy. Yeah, Don, to say Ken Atkins has been a controversial local figure would be putting it mildly. Atkins, who has always been known for his caustic remarks, became a lightning rod during the recent human rights ordinance debate when he used pictures of HRO supporter Councilman Tommy Hazorian created graphic images that he posted all over social media. His actions were widely condemned. We pressed Adkins to explain and here was his reaction. Looking at the images, some have described them as pornographic, as disrespectful. Your response to that? Well, my, my response is very simple. I, I, I think I think as a pastor, homosexuality, I think that's vulgar and I think that's pornographic and just the whole thought of it. I spoke to Councilman Tommy Hazuri about 15 minutes ago to get his reaction to the charges. Hazuri told me he's never surprised when it comes to Ken Adkins. Again, Adkins arrested today on child molestation charges. We are heading to Brunswick. We'll have more local reaction on this arrest tonight at 5. In the newsroom, Paige Kelton, CBS 47 Action News, Jax. <laughs> I don't know why it bothers me so much, this Action News Jax, because it must be like Jacksonville. Action News Jax, everybody. Wild and wacky action news jacks. Well, I think in his tweets, the pastor, he says things like, quote unquote, Jack's gays, J-A-X gays. Like Jacksonville gays. So I think Jacksonville, Jack's, those are used interchangeably. And (laughs) the name of the radio station or the news station, perfect. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, it is no, I mean, listen, we shouldn't be surprised at all that we have a Christian pastor here who describes homosexuality as vulgar, yet, yeah, molesting a couple of kids, eh, not so vulgar, right? Totally acceptable. This guy's disgusting. He also said that the Pulse nightclub victims deserved what they got. This is a disgusting human being, and I hope they give him everything that the law offers up for this charge. Well, he's tweeted many hateful things, too, that are now being reported. And a few of them been through so much with these Jacksonville homosexuals that I don't see any of them as victims. I see them as getting what they deserve. Dear gays, go sit down somewhere. I know y'all want some special attention. Y'all are sinners who need Jesus. This was an attack on America. It is a shame that Jack's gays are trying to use the Orlando massacre as blackmail to force the city to pass the HRO. Shame, shame, shame. And then there's his Twitter bio, which says he's one of the most respected black conservative voices in america that's his own twitter bio right (laughs) but now his tweets are protected oh yeah so if you try to go look at them they've protected his account of course so we'll see what this uh lovely man what comes about from this we will definitely follow it the other news we talked about last time was that dr drew had spouted off a bunch of pretty 
irresponsible things about the health of Hillary Clinton, having never examined the woman, including that she had brain damage. God damn. Well, he's been let go from his news show, Dr. Drew On Call, on HLN. CNN has canceled his HLN show, Dr. Drew On Call, just eight days after Penske made comments on a radio show questioning the health of Hillary Clinton. His show, six years old, will air for the last time on September 22nd. Now, a lot of people are saying this is because of what he said. And I don't know that that's true because they announced... Uh, Ashley Banfield's departure from CNN and migrating over to HLN because it seems like they're retooling that channel. Uh, Michaela Ferreira used to be on New Day on CNN. She's over there now with the show and Ashley Banfield is going to follow. So I think they may have had these moves in the works. I don't know this, but I think it's very possible these moves were in the works prior to Don- uh, prior Donald, prior to Dr. Drew opening up his mouth and saying something dumb. Well, and a CNN executive vice president said in a statement that he and Dr. Drew mutually agreed on the cancellation, but there was no reason given for it. So I think that's what's causing the confusion is that in this statement, they didn't give any specific reason for the show being canceled. But in January, Dr. Drew previously incorrectly reported based on quote-unquote a strong source that Clinton had a flare-up of problems from a quote-unquote brain injury. In reality, the former Secretary of State had only actually visited a restroom. At the time, Pinsky cited a Breitbart news story in his telling of the event. Uh, he Jesus. later apologized for violating quote-unquote HLN and CNN's editorial standards. He added, I regret the error and will make sure in the future to apply the rigorous editorial standards we have in place here i apologize to our viewers and secretary clinton for falling short tonight so this may be the second time that he has said something right that was problematic well listen i i can and i'm not making excuses for him because what he said was irresponsible and not well thought out but i can kind of understand i mean i don't it's kind of a misnomer or an oxymoron to talk about these lofty HLN editorial standards. HLN's a fucking tabloid channel. <laughs> His show, Dr. Drew On Call, covered celebrity news all the goddamn time. It's a gossip channel. Yeah, like Honey H- Boo Boo. Yeah, HLN, what it used to be called Headline News, and it ran just the headlines every 15 minutes, constantly running the headlines. And it's not what it is anymore. That's why they changed it to HLN. It's no longer Headline News. So I can see him getting sucked into that way of thinking of, you know, sensationalism rather than doing hard news, even though CNN even is guilty a lot of not really just doing the news. Well, and of course, HLN is the channel with Nancy Grace. She also got fired. Right. Yeah. But that show was also a little... Turdtastic. Yeah. Annoying. That's one word. That's two words. That it was terrible. <laughs> Goddamn, she's a fucking nightmare. All right. And then next up, before we move on, this is another question we got asked by a listener about the burkini ban that France or several cities in France had bur- had 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 uh, banned women from wearing like burkas in that have been fashioned into bathing suits. 
Yeah. They're fully covered. Not their face, but they have the hijab, which just covers the hair, and like the scarf that covers... So it's just like their face poking out of a... Out of a bunch of cloth. Of a wetsuit. Right. It's, it's kind of like a wetsuit. It's like a wetsuit, but that covers your head. Right. Mm-hmm. So they banned it in several municipalities, Nice and a couple other beach cities. And apparently the highest administrative court in France has overturned that verdict. Meanwhile, France's highest court has now suspended a controversial burkini ban. The measure was put into place following terror attacks in the country, it had prohibited the full-body uh, religious uh, swimwear, if you will, at public beaches and pools. But the ban sparked international outrage. Deborah Pata is in Nice with more. This summer, the fashion police along the glitzy French Riviera had a new target. Muslim women wearing burkinis. Italian tourist Amal purchased a pricey burkini for her vacation but is too scared to even go to the beach. Instead, she was reduced to taking holiday snapshots of her family from the promenade. I can't go to the beach with my children, she told us. I'm here by the sea, but can't go in it. Nice banned the burkini after last month's ISIS-inspired terror attack, with police fining women for wearing them or forcing them to disrobe as seen earlier this week when police surrounded a woman here and ordered her to remove her tunic. Deputy Mayor Rudy Sal said wearing a burkini is a provocation. How is banning the burkini going to make Nice more secure and safe? The feeling of the people is very important. When you go to a place, if you see like that Islamist or something looking like Islamist on the beach, on the streets, everywhere, you don't feel safe. He claimed the ban has overwhelming support, but many beachgoers cannot understand what the fuss is all about. Would you feel scared if someone sat next to you wearing a bikini? No. Pourquoi? Her Muslim friend, who chooses not to cover up, said she feels targeted by the ban. I think people should be free to do what they want, she said. I don't see why it should bother anyone. There's a lot of ambiguity about exactly what French officials regard as offensive religious clothing in this fiercely secular country. So, uh, this is good news, but I never really understood the goddamn burkini ban anyway. And then when they see when you see the pictures of the police accosting this woman on the beach and forcing her to remove, she's disrobing, which is, you know, against her mythology. She believes deeply that she's supposed to be covered. That's wacky. I think that is ridiculous because it's based on mythology. But still, that's where's the liberty in telling her what she can and cannot wear? Well, that's that's what's disturbing about it is forcing a woman to wear it is just as bad as forcing the woman to take it off. If, yes. if she doesn't want to be forced to take it off, do not force her to do that. Right. She wants to wear it. She should be allowed to wear it. Listen, I can understand a community or a society or a country or a government banning your face being covered, like the niqab. I can understand that because you got to know who people are. That's just in, in many municipalities across the country, you can't wear masks in public. Mm hmm. And then they just kind of look the other way on Halloween because it's a cultural 
ch- child's tradition. Well, similar to how you can't go in a bank with sunglasses and a hat. They'll, right. they'll ask you to remove those things. Right. So I, I get that. But I don't like if you ban the, the yarmulke, if you're banning the, the, the burqa, come on. It's just going a little too far in in the effort to make your society or your culture secular. So good news in France. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. We have a new Patreon supporter. Yes. Scott. Scott. Thank you so much Thank for you. your contribution. Thank you so much for your contribution. Scott. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm hoping that, I'm glad that ended when it did. Thank you. But thank you very much for your contribution. Your generous contribution. We appreciate it very much. We will get some stickers out to you. In the mail, son. Yes. <laughs> That's important. And if you would like to join Scott and become a Patreon supporter or PayPal supporter, just go to dollamore.com slash Patreon or dollamore.com slash PayPal, and you can do that. Live read like a pro. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So as we were just talking about when we were mentioning Dr. Drew and the comments he made about Hillary Clinton's health, there it's been in the news a lot because Donald Trump has been making hay um, out of whole cloth. Is that something that gets done, making hay out of whole cloth? Making up stories out of whole cloth about Hillary Clinton's health, about the questions about Hillary Clinton's health. He's using the famous, many people are saying, a blah, 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 when there hasn't been any real questions about her health for many years. Well, Sanjay Gupta sat down with Chris Cuomo on CNN, and they talked about that letter from back in December that was released by Donald Trump's doctor. And in this clip, they first start talking about, I guess, the qualifications of the doctor and exactly who he is. What do we know about him? Well, we, we, uh, he's been a doctor uh, with Trump for 36 years. We hear between him and his father. Uh, he says he's a fellow of the American College of Gastroenterology, so a GI doc. Interestingly, we called that particular organization. They said he was a member, but he hasn't been a member there in over 20 years, since 95 now. And in fact, the hospital where, Lenox Hill Hospital, says he's part of the section of gastroenterology. Uh, he's not actually a member of that section. He does have admitting privileges at the hospital, <laughs> but he's not. So there's some things in the letter that, uh, with regard to his qualifications that are a little bit questionable. Really, it was more sort of the language of this letter that I thought was quite surprising. It just it wasn't written the way that many typical medical letters are written. A gastroenterologist. Now, I'm no doctor. But that doesn't jump out at me as the type of physician this letter usually would come from, right? When I have to get insurance stuff, they go to my you know, the resident or the primary physician. Yeah. Is this unusual? 
Or, you know, I, I, it could be unusual. I wasn't as, as concerned about that. You know, gastroenterologists typically do have, they, they go through internal medicine training first, and then they get a fellowship. It could be something that he started seeing uh, Mr. Trump for just more primary care, you know, sort of things. Happens to be a gastroenterologist. So I was less concerned about that particular aspect of it. Really, it was more just the, the language, you know. When, when astonishingly, uh, astonishingly excellent. I only use that to describe you, Chris. Yes. You know, in this case. And and aptly so. (laughs) Healthiest individual ever elected. How do you know that? How how would you? That's unknowable. (laughs) Certainly, uh, you know, one is part doctor, one part historian, I guess. But these types of things really, that type of hyperbole typically isn't used. Strength and stamina being astonishingly excellent. You know, when we measure strength, you can actually measure strength. This is, this is, none of that objective data was in the letter. His physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. Uh, over the past 12 months, he has lost at least 15 pounds. Mr. Trump takes 81 milligrams of aspirin daily and a low dose of a statin. His physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. That was the context for that. Um, so he's in great shape. I mean, wh- why should we question any of this? Just because it doesn't sound like what you usually hear? Yeah, I, I think in part it's the language when you start yeah. using this type of uh, hyperbolic language. Uh, you know, we like to back things up with data. Doctors and journalists always want to get more information, certainly. But here you have a, a lot of language without a lot of substance to back it up. So what do you want to know, like HDL, LDL, like if what his cholesterol statin, levels are? They say he's on a statin. What, was, what is his cholesterol? You've indicated in some way that he has these types of medical medicines that he's taking. For what, exactly? What sort of impact are they? Does he have a risk of heart disease? Does someone can be taking these medications because they're at higher risk of heart disease or higher risk of stroke? These are the types of things that I think are going to be more important. Also, what is his past medical history? We, we don't really know anything about his medical history. We get some glimpses of his health from the campaign trail. We know he brags about not needing to sleep much. Uh, he's okay with fast food. He's in campaigning and golf as a sort of main form of exercise. But it doesn't give us a lot of insights into his health overall. There is no particular law that says we have to know the health of the candidate. I mean, there's nothing that that demands that. But I think a lot of people do want to know. Especially when you start, you know, have candidates who are not 50. You know what I mean? You know, you get both candidates will be in their, you know, 70 and above. So, and, and, that, and that is, I think, more of a reason. Certainly with age, there are going to be greater health concerns. But it is also fair to say that there are people who are chronologically seven and have physiology of a 50-year-old. And by the way, vice versa. You could have someone who's 50 who, who has the physiology of a 70-year-old. So you, we can actually parse this out a little bit if you get more information. Hmm. It's good to know. So we don't have to have any of this, but if this is going to become part, like with the taxes that started with Nixon uh, back in 70, if you're going to have information, you should have full information. You should have full information. And, and some, some have said you should have an independent panel separate from the doctor who's actually taking care of the patient because there's often a friendly relationship there. Uh, somebody independent or an independent panel to actually vet out these doctors, vet out these candidates in terms of their medicine. Hmm. Sanjay Gupta, in extraordinary shape yourself, astonishing strength and stamina, <laughs> Allison. Everybody says it. Everybody <laughs> says it. He is his it. own doctor. <laughs> Best friends. <laughs> when he needs a doctor, which he doesn't, he's his own doctor. Thank you very much, Sanjay. All right, fucking all with the jokes. Goddamn, what is this, John Berman hour? You know what? Sometimes they need to bring a little levity to the situation, okay? <laughs> so, there are questions and concerns about the fact that there isn't any information. Because if he was super, super healthy, why wouldn't they? Here's his cholesterol. Here's his blood pressure. Here's his 
They didn't do any of that. Again, it's no transparency, and really from either side. Hillary Clinton's being pretty undercover about all her details, too. Yeah, well, have you seen Donald Trump? Tremendous. (laughs) We don't even know what he looks like under all that makeup. (laughs) He's probably like a 125-pound weakling under all that. You just get a... You get a scraper, uh, you get a putty knife, and you, you start chipping away at it. You know, he does love fast food. That's not very nutritious. He's so healthy, but he loves to chow down on the KFC. Right. Well, in other Trump news this week, Trump is very well could be in trouble. I mean, up to this point, nothing has been able to really stick to him. But he is, quote unquote, clarifying his immigration policy, which has been at the forefront It has been a hallmark of his candidacy up to this point. With the election nearly 10 weeks away, Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump is clarifying his immigration plan as he reaches out to minority voters. Recent national polls show Hillary Clinton about six points ahead. Here's Errol Barnett. Facing questions over a changing policy, Donald Trump aimed to clarify the signature issue of his campaign in Iowa. On day one, I'm going to begin swiftly removing criminal, illegal immigrants from this country. What's unclear is if undocumented immigrants who have not committed crimes will also be deported. Trump campaign manager Kellyanne Conway. He is not talking about a deportation force, but he is talking about being fair and humane, but also being fair to the American workers who are competing for jobs, being fair to all of us who want secure borders. It's part of a new effort to attract minority voters while maintaining his core base of supporters. Governor Mike Pence, Trump's running mate, says there's been no change. It's going to be fair, it's going to be tough, but there'll be no path to legalization, no path to citizenship unless people leave the country. So this is sending shockwaves through the most extreme right wing of the Republican Party and Trump supporters. Rush Limbaugh almost had a conniption on his show talking about it, going into a fit of what seemed to me to be staged laughter. They tried everybody they could think of to try to convince the Republican base to support some form of amnesty for illegal immigrants and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Who knew? <laughs> I don't frustrate you to hear me. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Regain my composure. Who knew that it would be Donald Trump? Even more embarrassing, maybe, for Ann Coulter, the hateful Ann Coulter, who just released a book entitled In Trump We Trust about many of these issues. Right. And in fact, she actually is critical of Trump's personality, but she says that she loves him for his ideological positions. (laughs) They're real ideological. In Trump, we trust. She loves him as a candidate because of his ideological positions, particularly on immigration. Right. And her book came out the same week that he changes his stance on immigration. Right. And the, the book is filled with This is how strong Donald Trump is on immigration. This is what he's going to do. He's perfect. This is exactly what we've been looking for. This is what we want. Yeah, yeah. And then the book comes out. And apparently... she looks like even more of a fucking fool 
than she normally does. Well, apparently he's not what you want, right? Right. So what are you going to do about this book? Well, did you hear Kellyanne Conway in that tweet, his campaign manager, his new (laughs) campaign manager, saying that, oh, he's not talking about a deportation force. Oh, he's not. He said he was going to model what he wants to do after Operation Wetback of the 1950s and the Eisenhower administration. He absolutely has been talking about a deportation force and getting rid of what he says is the 11 to 34 million illegal aliens in this country. You know, one of the funniest interviews I've seen is Donald Trump and Anderson Cooper, where Anderson Cooper's interviewing him, asking him about this change in position and particularly about the deportation force. And Donald Trump looks at Anderson Cooper and says, now, you know, it's not possible to deport all of those people. <laughs> okay, wait, but yeah. but you're the one who's been saying that. So, so far, Ann Coulter has responded in contradicting ways. She's fired off tweets attacking Trump's immigration shift, but she's also downplayed it. So a little bit of an ambiguous reaction from Ann Coulter. Of course, she needs to protect her book sales. <laughs> right. So. Well, let me tell you. This is what the Republican Party deserves. I've been saying this for over a year now. This is who he is. I've done YouTube videos called Which Trump? Which one? Is it the guy who's so in favor of abortion that he supported partial birth abortion, late-term abortion? Or is it the guy now who wants to jail women, imprison women who get abortions? Come on, you don't have that much of a seismic shift as a late-in-life adult. It just doesn't happen. So they they deserve this. They're getting exactly what they deserve. They're reaping what they sowed with the nomination of Donald Trump. In other news this week, tragic news. Dwayne Wade, who's a National Basketball Association star, he's an NBA star, A relative of his pushing her baby in a stroller down the street in Chicago was shot and killed accidentally on the street by errant gunfight that was going on in her neighborhood. We all know Trump to be super sensitive to these type of matters, and he tweeted a ridiculous tweet. Here's John Dickerson talking to, again, Kellyanne Conway about the controversy. As Mr. Trump tweeted yesterday after an NBA player's cousin uh, was shot, Mr. Trump tweeted, Dwayne Wade's cousin was just shot and killed walking her baby in Chicago. Just what I've been saying. African-Americans will vote Trump. What did he mean? He tweeted his condolences to the family right after that. And I would like everybody to know. Just for clarification, he tweeted condolences to the family, not right after that. Four hours later, after there was a Twitter firestorm about his insensitive tweet, then he tweeted out a condolences tweet. Well, to be fair, four hours can technically be considered right after something happens. 
know about both tweets because I think it's incredibly important for all of us to come together, John, in a very nonpartisan fashion and express our condolences to families like the Wade family and also our outrage that things like this can happen. This woman was pushing but a baby stroller. She's a, there are four children today, including a newborn, that don't have their mother. Absolutely. And, that, and, and, that, and I think it's important that Donald Trump is taking his message to communities of color. Republicans sometimes show up at different forums, but they really don't continue with this message trying to reach all Americans. In the coming weeks, you will see Mr. Trump yeah. uh, directly in Let these communities ask. of color. Yes. Let me, we'll get to that in just a second. I just wanted to try and unpack the first tweet, though, because... Uh, I just don't know what that means. Well, I think you have to look at both tweets where he expresses his condolences and he says, and he reminds everybody that he's been trying to make the case that the increase in, in random crime and senseless murders, the poverty, the joblessness, the, um, the homelessness in some of our major cities is unacceptable to all of us. And the idea that certain politicians, he's not one of them, have looked the other way and have not done everything they can do to help all Americans, including our communities of color, is unacceptable to all of us. And it certainly is unacceptable to a President Trump. Very unacceptable to a President Trump who can't even be gracious enough in light of a family tragedy, losing a family member to senseless gun violence. He can't even do the right thing. He's got to make it about himself. Oh, this is what I've been saying. He did the same fucking thing during the Pulse tragedy in Orlando, and he continues to do this. It's because this is who he is. He's also completely tone deaf. On the matters of race. It should be very concerning that the Republican presidential candidate's first reaction to tragic news is validation of his viewpoint. Right. And then he goes on to Twitter and brags about that. It's very disturbing. It is. Well, it's disgusting. It's not compassionate. It's not empathetic. It's not presidential. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's really upsetting. Well, as you all well know, I have been railing about the racism strain running through the Republican Party for a long time. Here is Governor Paul LePage of Maine describing in an interview to somebody in a bizarre string of words that people of color are the enemy. When you go to war... If you know the enemy, the enemy dresses in red, and you dress in blue, you shoot at red, don't you? Ken, you've been in uniform, you shoot at the enemy. You try to identify the enemy. And the enemy right now, the overwhelming majority of people coming in are people of color or people of Hispanic origin. Hence... They are the enemy. That was right after his metaphor about who the enemy is and who you shoot at. And then ends it with describing who at this very moment the enemy is. Wow. Well, he apparently was called a racist by a lawmaker there in Maine. And he left a very Donald Trump-like voicemail for that lawmaker. I would like to talk to you about your comments about my being a racist sucker 
and you, I want to talk to you. You want, I want you to prove that I'm a racist. I've spent my life helping black people, and you little son of a socialist sucker, you, I need you to, this freaking, I want you to record this and make it public because I am after you. Thank you. Well, at least he ended it with a nice thank you. Uh, well, I guess he asked for it to be made public, so. Called him a cocksucker twice. A socialist son of a bitch. Uh, classy. This, this, this is the Republican Party, folks. It's pretty classy. This is the governor of one of our 50 states. What do you think happened in this moment? Because you'd think he was just so overcome by anger and he was saying these things and then he said, I want this to go public and he just wasn't thinking of the possibility that, yeah, that could go public and everyone's going to hear this. And I have no idea, but they did interview this lawmaker who released the voicemail. Drew, the governor of your state, called you a lot of things I cannot repeat on the air multiple times. What's your response? Well, it was pretty shocking to get that voicemail yesterday. Uh, I've never received a voicemail like that before. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, this is a governor, as you pointed out, who continues to cross the line. And every time you think he's crossed a line, you think he can't go any further. Uh, but then he draws a different line and he crosses it. And, and this is a pattern of behavior by this governor. And it's, it's really unfortunate because I think Maine people really deserve a lot better uh, from their governor and uh, uh, from the leader of our state. Has he spoken to you since then? Has he pulled any of this back, at least apologized for some of the vitriol in that call? No, he hasn't pulled anything back, uh, you know, in any comments that he has made to me. That's not his style. This is a governor that um, likes to double down. And, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that, that uh, you know, he hasn't pulled back the statements. And um, I, don't, I don't really expect him to. Now, now, he says he made the call because uh, uh, he says that you called him a racist or a reporter told him that you called him a racist. Did, did you accuse him of being a racist? No, I, I, I you know, I'm not a name caller. Uh, I'm not going to play that game with the governor. Um, I was asked to, to respond to the comments he made about our drug crisis. And I said that racially charged comments are not going to help us solve this extremely serious problem that we have up here in Maine. We need to focus on prevention. We need to focus on treatment. Uh, we are not spending enough to, to treat people uh, who are extremely ill with substance use disorder. And we need to support law enforcement. But the governor seems to want to continue to make this a conversation about race and, and seems obsessed and fixated with the race of uh, people who are importing drugs in our state. and and. I don't think that kind of conversation is going to help us solve the problem. And that's what I said yesterday, and, and that's what I believe today. He might not be calling Paula Page a racist. I will. When you say that people of color are the enemy because they're people of color, that is racist. And you are racist. And it is talk like this from the governor of Maine and all of the very many, many things that I have documented on this program and on the YouTube channel, all the things that Donald Trump has said that is fueling this virulent strain in the South and among many people who are white nationalists and just straight-up racists. Recently, in Houston, there was a White Lives Matter protest outside 
of an historic NAACP chapter. Oh, God. Tensions flaring outside the Houston NAACP headquarters. That's where several protesters gathered just a short time ago for a White Lives Matter rally. And as time passed, the crowd grew, prompting police on horseback, even barricades. Channel 2's Brandon Walker is live tonight where that rally just wrapped up. Brandon, what else can you tell us? Yeah, hi there, Jonathan. The rally wrapped up about an hour ago. The people you see here behind me weren't here for the White Lives Matter rally. They're here in response to it. Stump, they say, over what they witnessed. The message, it's time, most definitely where it was placed was for reasons, say organizers. A rally, this one proclaiming White Lives Matter, held on historic Wheeler Avenue, out front of the historic NAACP Houston chapter, no less. We came here because the NAACP headquarters is here, and that's one of the most racist, supposedly civil rights groups in America. You know what I mean? Scott Lacey. Yeah, you're protesting. You're here to talk. Me and you can talk. Me and him can talk. Me and a bunch of individuals can talk. And others from Sunday's White Lives Matter movement waved the Confederate flag and stood ground. They on one side of Wheeler Ave. It seems like in the country today that it's wrong to be white. It's almost wrong to be white. On the other, they didn't even want to talk. Those who came out in response to White Lives Matter, those wondering why here and what's the goal. Things like this are going to continue to happen. Tragedies are going to continue to happen if we don't have an open dialogue, and that's just the end of it. It's a physical manifestation of white supremacy, white privilege, and racism being protected by this country. And back here live from historic Third Ward, organizers of the White Lives Matter movement say that they held this protest and were here to spark dialogue on both sides of the street for that matter. Also, people who were here in response to the rally said that they hope to have some dialogue too. Neither side, though, say that they were able to accomplish that. The rally ended before any conversation on either end of the street was slated to take place. We're live tonight in the Third Ward. I'm Brandon Walker, KPRC Channel 2 News. And they weren't just... Uh, draping themselves in the Confederate flag and waving and flying the Confederate flag. They were also wearing white power, white nationalist, racist symbols on their T-shirts. So it's no surprise that there was probably just as many teeth as there were college diplomas in the group. Here's an interview of some people who are, I, I guess, kind of what you'd expect at a movement and a rally such as this. What brings you out here today? We're representatives of White Lives Matter. We came out here specifically today to protest against the NAACP and their failure in speaking out against the atrocities that organizations like Black Lives Matter and other pro-black organizations have caused, uh, the attack of and killing of white police officers, the burning down of cities, and things of that nature. If they're going to be a civil rights organization and defend their people, they also need to hold their people accountable. And we're out here just to show that White Lives Matter has the right to support our rights and our heritage and culture just as they do. But they do not have the right to kill, they do not have the right to assault, they do not have the right to threat, and they do not have the right to damage personal property. You know, when he says equal rights, that's what we're trying to say. Let's have equal rights. We've been saying that for years as black people. Uh, we're not out here to instigate or start any problems. Uh, obviously, we are exercising our Second Amendment rights, and that is because we have to defend ourselves, because their organizations and their people are shooting people because of based on the color of their skin. We're not. So uh, 
we definitely will defend ourselves, but we are not out here trying to start any problems. The Confederate flag throws me off, you know, because you're saying Black Lives Matter is a racist organization, but then when you throw the Confederate flag up and you're saying White Lives Matter, are you saying you're racist as well? And I let them know that it has nothing to do with racism on our part and why we're flying it. It is basically because we're proud to be Southern. We're in Texas. It's a Southern state. It has all to do about heritage, nothing to do about hate. Disgusting. Uneducated. I mean, silly. But still dangerous. And these people are infiltrating the mainstream of the Republican Party right now. As evidenced by William Johnson, David Duke, Paul LePage, Steve King, Donald goddamn Trump. It's a problem. The Republican Party, as we've known it, is no more. All right. Taking care of biz. An Indonesian man who has a, a name that you're not going to be able to pronounce. Listen, it's a lot of consonants. It's M-B-A-H is the first name. Okay. You want to take a stab at that, Jesse D? Imba. Okay. And Ma? Gotho, I think, is the last name. Gato. Great. Okay. He is the... <laughs> Longest living human. They say that. Yes, he says that. He claims that he is 145. (laughs) 145 years old. If that is true, he's certainly taking care of biz. So he he claims he was born December 31st, 1870. (laughs) And this is the date of birth on his quote unquote identity card. And a, a federally, a nationally, uh, you know, his government issued identity card. Yes. Yeah. Now, officials at the local record office say they have finally been able to confirm that remarkable date as genuine. Th- so the government's backing it up. If independently confirmed, the findings would make him 145 years old and the longest living human in recorded history. He is. Let me tell you, he's not looking in good shape. First of all, all the video that I've seen of him, he's puffing away on a cigar the whole time. And secondly, he walks with a cane and he's shaped. Well, I guess the most apt description would be he's like a human apostrophe. He's almost bent in half at the waist. He looks like he might be 145. Well, you know, he says that he doesn't want to remain on Earth much longer. Quote, what I want is to die. My grandchildren wow. are all independent, and he has outlived all 10 of his siblings, four wives, and his children. His nearest living relatives are grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. Wow. And his family says that he's been preparing for death ever since he was 122. Our Science needs to get in there and get some skin flakes and do some tests and see what's going on. Well, they figure that out from the skin flakes. Right. So that is what they need to do. <laughs> Good thinking, Jesse D. I know. Just I'm all over it. Stand next to him in the bathroom while he does his morning exfoliation routine. Looking at him, he doesn't do an exfoliation routine. <laughs> Give a little swab. <laughs> yeah. Nope. That's not happening with that guy. Yeah, so he has been spoon-fed and bathed for the past three months as he has become increasingly frail. 
When asked what his secret to longevity is, he said the recipe is just patience. So I'm screwed. (laughs) I'm definitely screwed. (laughs) Because that means no anxiety. Right. Or relaxation. Things I'm not good at. Anyway. Start smoking cigars. Apparently does that all the time. While the record office staff say they have confirmed the birth date on his identity card, he will not make it into the record books until the findings are independently verified the current record holder is a french woman who died in 1997 at the age of 122 yeah so that's quite a bit older yes it is all right well we're gonna leave you there we appreciate you thank you for joining us episode 241 before you know it we'll be at 250 and then we'll be big time Brittany page oh yeah big time (laughs) if you'd like to support the show other than listening Go rate and review us on iTunes. That would be tremendous. Tremendous. Thanks, you guys. We appreciate it. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I got it. I got it. Well, you asked.